Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm Stu. I'm one of the pastors here. And don't worry, I'll, I'll explain, all right? Um, it was Resurrection Sunday. And there were two disciples that were walking to a town called Emmaus. Their world was absolutely rocked with the events of the previous couple of days. They were questioning, wondering what on earth has taken place. And as they are walking towards Emmaus, a man comes alongside them and they begin talking. They don't recognize this man. They don't think that they've seen him before. And as they walk towards Emmaus. They begin discussing the events of the past couple of days. He begins to explain it to them in a way that they'd never really thought about. They reach their stop. They arrived at Emmaus. And this man, he looks as if he's going to keep on walking. And so the two disciples, they invite him in. And they enter into a house. And in this house, there is some bread and there's some wine. And there's some other people who are still trying to work out what on earth has happened in these past couple of days. This man that was walking along the disciples towards Emmaus, he takes some bread and he rips it. And as he rips the bread, they see that this man is Jesus. They see the body of Christ. Now, the body is scarred. It has bruises. It looks as if he's pretty broken. But as the bread is ripped, the disciples on Resurrection Sunday see the body of Christ. Today we're beginning a new season of teaching here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. It is gonna be a season of teaching on the church. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be answering the question, what is the church? And then later in the autumn, we're gonna be exploring what it means for us to commit to the life of this church this particular people, in this particular place, at this particular time as we are here now. And then just before Advent, as we begin to look ahead to the start of a new year, we're gonna invite you as our church, if you're willing to make a commitment, a covenant, even to be the church here in 2024. Between now and Advent through this season of teaching, we're gonna be circling around five things, five answers to the question, what is the church? But also five commitments that we can embody and put into practice as we seek to be the church. And so you're gonna be hearing from Andy, who today is speaking in House Church in Newton Ards. You're gonna be hearing from Chris and from James, Hannah and myself. And we're gonna talk a lot this season about five answers and five commitments, and they are community, formation, worship, service, and generosity. But today, I just wanna get us started in this season of teaching, so I wanna ask you, what is the church? What is the church for you? What sparks in your mind and sparks in your imagination whenever you hear the word church? For many of us, church can be a pretty loaded term, right? It can remind us of the best of times, but also, if we're honest, church can remind us of the most heartbreaking of times. Many of us have grown up through the church, particularly in this part of the world, and so it doesn't feel like a separate entity to us. It kind of feels ingrained in who we are as people. But I think if you took somebody off the street 
or maybe one of us today, and if you said church to them and asked them what went on in their head whenever they heard that word, many of us think of this. They think of a building. They think of people entering into that building once a week to sing some songs, to pray together, to listen to God's word, and to connect together. If you boil down church, for many of us, we see it as a human activity measured by human expectations. Church is a thing that we do, right? You go to church, you sing in church, you serve in kids, you go to tribe. These are all human activities, but we're constantly measuring these human activities based on our expectations, the things that we like, our preferences. Worship was great today, wasn't it? But that speaker, my goodness, he was ropey as, right? Please don't say that to my face. Thank you. Uh, so often, we can narrow church right down to just another human activity, another thing that is measured by human expectations. But I guess at the start of this new season, I want to ask us, is that it? Because as we take some time over the next few months to ask ourselves the question, what is the church? and to explore what it means to commit to the church here and now, I want to invite us to stretch our imaginations, to expand our expectations, to see the church differently. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey, says this about the church. Before Christians can say things about what the church ought to be, their first need is to say what the church is here and now, amid its own failures and the questionings of the bewildered. Looking at it now with its inconsistencies and perversions and its want of perfection, which is being exposed so much right now, we must, and we still must, ask what is the real meaning of it just as it is. As the eye gazes upon it, It sees the passion of Jesus Christ, but the eye of faith sees further. It sees the power of Almighty God. Friends, what would would happen to us if our vision changed so that we looked at the church through the eyes of faith? Look, the apostle and one of the founding fathers of the church, he penned two books of scripture, the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts. And in his gospel, Luke wants to tell us of the birth of Jesus and share the story of how his life unfolded. And yet in his second book, the book of Acts, he also shares a birth narrative and the story of a life unfolding. But this time it is the story of the birth and the emergence of the church. Luke sets the birth of Christ and the birth of his church in pretty much exact parallel in his two books. In Luke's gospel, we see how God brought our Savior into human history. And God could have chosen the path of strength and a power of fame and fortune with Jesus being like born into royalty, packing out amphitheaters to try to convince the world of God's power. But instead, he's born in obscurity, the son of a peasant girl, vulnerable and on the margins. And then in the book of Acts, we see how God brought the salvation community into human history. And it's pretty much in exactly the same conditions as Jesus' own birth, to the marginalized, to the overlooked, to a bumbling community of nobodies, to men and women who had little to no cultural currency to their name. The birth of Jesus and the birth of his church are pretty much exactly the same. Their conditions match. But that isn't all that Luke is trying to tell us here. Because as he pairs these two births together, he wants to show us 
that the birth of Jesus and the birth of his church, they are marked by the same thing, exactly the same thing, and it's a miracle. One day, the angel Gabriel shows up at Mary's home and announces to her that she is going to have a baby. And Mary is convinced that this angel doesn't really understand how reproduction works, and so says, that's impossible because I'm a virgin. And then Gabriel responds by saying this in Luke 1, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then miraculously, the Holy Spirit descends into the womb of Mary of Nazareth and Christ is conceived. And yet, 33 years later, as we read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his followers, including his own mother who is present there that day, says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Notice exactly the same words, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. And then on the day of Pentecost, the dove descends once again, but this time into the collective womb of the church of Jesus. The Spirit falls, and the church of Christ is conceived. Now, why am I talking about this? You're probably wondering. Well, I think that we can so often narrow church down to a human activity based on human expectations. We think we know the church. We kind of think that we own it if we're truthful. We own it by our choices, by our leading of it. But here is the thing. We didn't bring the church into being. The Spirit did. The Spirit brings the church into being in His way. He is the one that sets the terms and conditions for His church and how it unfolds itself. And so if we're truly wanting to answer the question, what is the church? We've got to look beyond ourselves. We have to look beyond our expectations, our experiences, and we have to take on the mind of Christ. We've got to see through the eyes of faith, and we must inquire of the imagination of the Holy Spirit. He conceived the church. He created it. And so how does he see it? I believe that the Word of God, this book, and the Spirit of God, they are infused together. The Holy Spirit inspired writers of Scripture, and He continues to breathe upon this text so it is living and it is active. And so it's no surprise, therefore, that throughout the New Testament, we find the Spirit inspiring these writers to write down certain pictures, metaphors, to paint some icons for us, to help us see what the church is like. And today, for just a few more minutes, I want to share a few of these pictures, these icons with you. And I want to say thank you to Amy and to Richard and to Michael for helping me out with this today. Picture number one, Ephesians 5, verse 25 says this, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. At the end of our story, we see a wedding take place, a wedding between Jesus and us, his church, his bride. And we know for sure that this isn't going to be a loveless marriage because right up to that point in Revelation, it has all been love story. The intensity and the intimacy of Jesus' love for us is so strong that he would give up his entire life for us. We are his beloveds and his desire is for us, his church. Ten years ago, on the 2nd of December, 2013, never forget the date, 
I stood in front of my friends and family at the top of an aisle alongside my bride. And as we made vows in front of our family, two things happened. Number one, Em and I took on a new identity. We changed. We became new people. And the church as a bride, well, the church is to be a place of new beginnings and of homecomings. We are to consistently see people take on new identities, people being saved, people changing into the loved, the free sons and daughters, people who are now in Christ Jesus. Salvation is normal for us and we are to see much of it. And yet there is another identity marker that we get to take on at the moment of salvation. Because at the top of the aisle, I was no longer an I, but Emma and I were now a we. We were now a we family. I became a husband, Emma became a wife, we became a family. And at the moment of your surrender to Christ, you took on a new identity. You are now part of his bride. You at that moment were interwoven into the identity of the church because church is not something that you do or go to. You now are the church. You are now part of the family of God. You are no longer an I, but we are now a we. We're quite a big family, but we are a we, a collective identity. But the second thing also took place on our wedding day because our wedding, it was just the beginning Weddings open the door to marriages. They are the beginning of a long follow-through, a deep, daily, devoted commitment to each other, a life that is to be marked by fidelity to one another. And here's the thing about fidelity, or another way to put it is faithfulness. Fidelity needs to be fought for. It needs to be worked at. In the early stages of any relationship, the romance, the adrenaline, it kind of looks after the relationship itself, right? But in the best marriages, infatuation, it matures into something more powerful, something way more beautiful. And the best word that I can put on that is union. The thing that matures infatuation into union, it is fidelity worked in the in-between space every single day. It is hard won, it is intentional, it is repetitive, it is full of faithfulness, where you daily prioritize being with one another, loving them, showing up for them. A life of love with Christ will not be sustained by your infatuation with Jesus, but it will be sustained by your fidelity to him. And so as the bride of Christ, we will see salvation. We will celebrate many, many weddings, seeing lives changed as people give their I wills and their I do's to the bridegroom. And yet, at the same time, we exist as a fellowship of fidelity. We're to spur one another on to live a life of faithfulness, of devotion, of worship, as we all learn what it means to live a long, loving obedience in the same direction. Picture number two is of the tree. John 15, I believe is, I think the best description of a life that is well lived. Jesus teaches us, his disciples, this. John 15, verse five says this. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In this simple picture, Jesus shows us the right order of things. He is the vine and we are the branches. We are to shoot off of his life. If you want to live a fruitful life, a life well lived, you're to remain in him. We are to root ourselves into his life. 
And through the church, we get to learn how to do just that. The church is to be a formative, shaping community. It is like a school of life where we are equipped and trained to live a fruitful John 15 kind of life through the rhythms and the patterns and the practices of the church and also the example of how we live our lives, we discover how we can remain in Jesus, abide in him and practice his presence. And as we discover what it means to live this life of devotion, we will naturally bear the fruit of the vine. And together with our gardener God, we will draw upon each other to nurture this kingdom fruit, to tend to it, to cultivate it, to harvest it, and also to offer it to the world. Third picture is found in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. It says this, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I know what you're thinking. There is a wedding dress, there is a tree, but where is the body? Well, I've got one right here, people. And um, yeah, it's a bit out of shape, but it'll do for you this morning. Paul uses the image of a body to describe what the church is like. A body has so many different parts to it, and yet each part is needed. Each part is necessary. Each part is connected together. We all come to the church different, right? And while unity is to always be celebrated in the church, uniformity is to always be avoided. Whenever the church becomes uniform, it gets funky and not funky in the good way, right? You will be vastly different from the person sat next to you. Just look at them for a moment. Yeah, you see what I mean? So different. You have different backstories, different temperaments, different passions, different skills. You will all have something different to offer and yet you equally have something to give. Each of you has a gift that you can offer the body of Christ. You're not more valued than the person sat next to you and they are not more valued than you whenever it comes to the church because here we all get to play, right? In the church, our unity and our diversity is celebrated as we're entangled together into this body. God has placed us exactly where he wants us. And so for those of you who are here and you're wondering, am I needed here? You look around and you're like, do I have anything to offer? I wanna share some good news from Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 12. God and his church, they give greater honor to the overlooked ones and also to the ones who overlook themselves. And so just like whenever you lose an ear, something is definitely missing. And just as a meal is incomplete whenever not one of us is at the table, hear me on this, friends. We need all of you. We need all of you to be the body of Christ together. As Leslie Newbegin would say, none of us can be made whole until we are made whole together. Here, we all get to play. Picture number four. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. The story of God, the story of his scriptures is a story of his presence and his people. And just as God was present in the garden, in the tabernacle, in the temple, and in the person of Jesus, now he is present within us. We are now the temple of God's empowering presence. He lives in us. We are the new temple. And who is it that you associate with temples? It's priests, right? 
We are a royal priesthood of believers. We're to live as priests. As priests, we represent God to the world. And while Jesus doesn't physically walk on the earth, he does walk physically through us now as we represent him, as we incarnate him and embody him. We're now his flesh. And so we're to move into our neighborhoods to embody his way of life, living like him and doing the same things that he did. C.S. Lewis would put it like this. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian, I would argue the whole purpose of the church is simply nothing else. We are to live like icons, pictures, representations, priests, little Christ wherever we go. And our great high priest, he came to show us, but also to tell us that the kingdom of heaven has come really, really close. And so we as his priests, we're invited to do exactly the same thing. His kingdom is at work alive and active. His kingdom is renewing people and places. And so we, his church, we're to be the go-betweens between heaven and earth. We're to do the work of the kingdom in this in-between space. And as we do this kingdom work, we get to see that everything in the life of Jesus and everything in the life of his early church is not only possible for us today, but should be normal Christianity for us today. I'm talking about salvation and signs and wonders and justice and honoring the poor, empowering the disempowered, reconciliation and the rebuilding of ancient ruins and the restoration of long devastated places. Friends, the church has a mission. It is to be the priests of God. It is to go and tell and show everyone that the kingdom of heaven has come really close. Now, there's so many other pictures and metaphors that, I could use to describe the church. I just can't fit them all on the stage today, right? But today at the start of this season of teaching, I simply wanted to take a moment to show you that the church that the Spirit birthed, it is beautiful and it is intricate. It is comprehensive. And I would go so far to say that it is holy. And I wanna invite you to stretch out your imagination of what the church is right the way out to the intention of the Holy Spirit. Because the church, it is to be a center of salvation, but also a fellowship of fidelity. It is to be a school of life, a formative shaping community. It is to be the place where we all get to play. And we, the church, we are filled but also join in with the one who is filling everything in every way with his new life. I opened this talk with the words of Michael Ramsey. When you see the church through the eyes of faith, you see the power of almighty God. And yet, we don't always see the church like that, right? And this could be because of the shifts of secularism where the church has been emptied of its cultural power and I would go out on a limb to say amen to that. We don't see the church like this because of some of the real hurts that we carry. Please hear me in this. I get that. I understand. And I and we are here to help and to pray through and to process that hurt with you if you're wanting to do that. And that just isn't a nice line in a talk. I genuinely, genuinely mean that. We also don't see the church like this right now because, well, some of us are frustrated or just really sad about what is being exposed within subcultures of the church right now. 
It seems as if God is shaking things up in his church to leave behind a remnant that is holy, hungry, and humble. And I again will stick my neck on the line and say amen to that too. But there is one reason, I think, why so many of us so often don't see the church through the eyes of faith and through the imagination of the Spirit. I want to explain it to you for a few moments. When was the last time that you turned on terrestrial TV just to watch whatever was on? I sound like such an old boy whenever I say terrestrial TV, right? I think the last time I did that was 2014, no joke. I never turn the TV on just to let it decide what I watch, all right? Other than the news, because I know it's on at six and 10. Match of the day, because I know that it's on at 20 past 10 or 10.30 on a Saturday night, and also CBBS because that's kind of my life right now, right? But why would I say yes to the TV programming what I watch whenever I have Netflix or Prime or Apple TV or Disney Plus, and you're thinking, man, that boy's got a lot of subscriptions. Now, um, I just get to choose what I watch now. I can curate my viewing to suit me. It's exactly the same with radio, right? I never turn the radio on. I can curate my listening around my Spotify or the podcast that I listen to. And I could stress this out across much of our lives. When was the last time that you walked into a restaurant just because it was on the street and you thought, I'm hungry, I'm gonna go in there? No, we always check TripAdvisor before we go into that restaurant, right? Same with hotels, same with Airbnbs. In so much of our life, we have the power of choice. We can curate life. We can program it so that it works for us, allowing us to live in the way that we want to live our lives. And so often, we can approach the church in exactly the same way. We want to curate it, or at least our experience of it, so it kind of works for us. We know what we like. We know our preferences, we know our kind of people, we know our terms and our conditions, and so we create a dream image of church in our heads. And yet, as you know, and as I know, whenever you enter into church life, this dream image, it kind of falls apart. The reality of church is so different from the church of our choices. Because whenever it comes to the body of Christ, you are brothers and sisters with people that you would never choose to spend time with, right? That's maybe just me being honest. Okay, I'm only messing. Church means that our lives often get interrupted, that we are called upon to do things that we really don't want to do, costly, uncomfortable, compassionate things. Whenever we choose church, we want to try to create it and manipulate it. And yet, whenever we get into the reality of church, we bump up against this all the time. Whenever things don't really line up for us, the church isn't really the way that we want it to be. We can so often get disillusioned. We kind of begin to take or leave church. And sometimes we just check out completely. So often we try to approach church in the same way that we watch TV or we shop or we travel. And I know that that sounds really trivial, but I in fact think that this is really, really deep. Because with each click, every scroll, every review that we are reading, we are tricked into the thinking that power comes from our preferences, that we can curate an experience of the world which places our choice right at the center. And so whenever we want church to work for us, to be on our terms, we take the imagination and the intention of the Holy Spirit and we narrow church right the way down to our likes and to our loves. Friends, 
we did not choose the church. We were saved into it. We do not set the terms for the church. The spirit has already set the terms. The church can never be curated, but it can be committed to. This is punchy, but it's important. The words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may ever be so honest and earnest. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law, and they judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build, but Christ builds his church. Friends, Jesus is building his church, not our church. The Spirit birthed his church, not ours. And his vision of his church, it is wider, more expansive, more powerful, and more holy than the church of our choices. His church is his grand social experiment. It is his new humanity. And for him, it is the light of the world. Can I leave you with one more picture? Is that all right? For me, the table of communion is the most inspiring picture of what the church is. Because, of course, here, we get to remember the sacrifice of Jesus for our salvation. But it is also here that we remember that as he stretched out his hands on the tree of death, he was also gathering together a new people, a cruciform community, a family that was founded on the confession that Jesus is Lord. At the table of Christ, we get to act out and to dish out the truth of Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There are two ways that you can approach this table. And I think it's the same two ways that we often approach the church. If you've been around church for a while, you may have heard people invite you to take communion. And as you do that, you take your individual piece of bread and you dip it into the cup and then you go back to your seat and you consume it. You take it and you consume it. Friends, we don't take communion. We receive it. We receive it as a gift. And as we receive this gift, we are also invited to share in this gift with our brothers and our sisters. We are not to solely consume communion, but we are to participate in a meal, a meal that Jesus started with his friends in an upper room. And we're to gather with our brothers and sisters regularly and celebrating this meal, celebrating this love, which binds all of us together. Just like communion we can approach the church in the same ways. Something to take, something to consume, something to enjoy individually, or we can receive the church exactly as it is. Pure gift, the gift of God. And as we receive this gift, we can also give, we can participate in the life of the church that the Spirit created the bride of the bridegroom, a flourishing tree, the body of the resurrected Christ and God's 
people, his priesthood, that are gathered around a table as his new humanity. As we go on this journey over the next couple of months, and as we consider the question, what is the church? Can I ask you before we really get into it? By the way, this is just the introduction this morning. Is the church something that you will simply take and consume? Because I urge you, I plead with you, there is a better, truer way to come to the table and there is another way to come to the church. And so friends, may you come to see that the church, it is the gift of God. May you receive this gift and may you throw your life into participating in it. May your vision of the church be seen through the eyes of faith for as we take a moment to remember the unceasing love of the bridegroom, may you fall in love once again with his bride. If you're able, can I invite you to stand with me? Guys, come on up. Can I invite the welcome team uh, to come up to the front and kind of hang out the back with communion? We're gonna gather around the table of Christ to share in his meal together. But just a couple of things before we get there. Um, This meal, it is for those of us who are moving towards Jesus. And so whether our moving towards him is like a sprint or a stumble, you are welcome to come and receive communion today. Now, if you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but as we've been singing and praying and hearing from God's word today, you're like, there's something within me. Actually, I'd really love to become a Christian today. Um, Emma and Chris and myself will be down here at the front and we would love to take a couple of moments to pray for you, to introduce Jesus to you and to share communion with you. There's gonna be lots of people moving around for the next couple of minutes, so don't worry. Um, You won't stick out. At each of the stations, uh, there's going to be some bread and some grape juice. Uh, There's also some communion pods, um, if you'd rather use them. Can I invite you to dip the bread into the juice? And Hannah and Connor are going to be leading us in worship. But here's the thing. I don't want you to just take communion by yourself and for yourself today. I want to invite you to participate in this act of both receiving and giving. And so as you come to the table, I want to invite you to not just lift one piece of bread and dip it into the juice, but to take two pieces of bread or three pieces of bread or four or whatever and dip them and go back to where you were and to bless people with them, to offer it to them as the gift of God. And as you share communion with your friends and with your family, pray for them. Take a moment to bless them. Stay on your feet, lay on hands and bless them with that. Now, I know some of you are maybe asking, got some questions about this. This is supposed to be a meal, right? And there's no communion cups around, okay? So if you end up getting like 10 pieces of bread, it's all good, okay? It's all good. We are to enjoy this moment of both receiving and giving. And so yeah, feel free just to share this. Feel free to move around the room and to pray for one another and bless each other as you do this. Particularly if you're here disenfranchised with the church, apathetic. You've been trying for so long to curate the church and you've just been kind of taking or leaving it recently. And yet you sense God calling you to fall in love with the bride once again. I particularly want to invite you to use this as a moment to respond. 
And so as you come to the table differently by participating in it, by both giving and receiving, I want you to be open to what the Spirit is doing within you as you do that. I want to invite you especially to take at least two pieces of bread back to where you were and to offer it to your friends and with your family. That might feel like an act of the will, but I'm a firm believer that it is disciplines that create new desires. And so even though this feels like an act of the will, actually, as you do that, as you participate in something that feels like a bit of a stretch, you might find that the Spirit fills you with power to be able to live differently, not just in this moment, but in the life of this church. So let's move into communion, shall we? The Lord is with us and his spirit is here. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment and don't hang about in this, but just in your own words, it can be in your own head, just begin to express your gratitude to Jesus. Just begin to thank him. Tell him how much you love him. Thank him for his love for you.